0: Thanks, guys. Can we give it up for the worship team one more time? guys. It's good to be with everyone again this morning. As Pastor Tom just shared, my name is Christian Root. I'm the associate pastor here and just really glad to share. And if you've been with us over the last several weeks, you, you know that we've been looking at the attributes of God, and as I shared last week, when we talk about god's attributes we're, we're sim- simply referring to those characteristics that make god god and and this is a really important series for us because we, we need to ensure as a church community that, that we are that we are worshiping the God of the Bible and not simply a God of our own construction, a God formed by our own preferences or opinions or or by the culture that we, we find ourselves in. And, and this morning, as we've already shared, we're, we're going to be looking at an attribute of God that is of utmost importance to all followers of Jesus. This morning we're going to be talking about the grace of God. Is there a better subject to to talk about, to reflect on, than the grace of God? Now, now it's important here at the the outset that, that we define our, our terms. So what, what is... What is the grace of God? Well, the grace of God is is God's free gift of favor and blessing to those who don't deserve it. It's a free gift that hasn't been earned. At the very center of, of God's heart is a desire to show kindness and love to people who don't deserve it. And while God shows his grace to us in in a number of ways, never is his grace more clear, never is it more lavish than when God graciously gives a sinner the gift of eternal life. And this morning, I want us to look at Ephesians 2. So we're going to be in Ephesians 2 because I, I, I believe Ephesians 2 offers us an amazing portrait of what grace looks like. In action. But before we jump into today's text, I would love to pray. So, would you pray with me, church? God, I, I just confess to you, I am always humbled and a little nervous, I confess, when I have to, to preach on a topic as, as great as the grace of God. For surely we could spend our entire day discussing, God, the wonders of your grace, of your mercy, of your kindness to us, that even though we, we habitually rebel against you and turn from you, you are so quick to show patience with us to, to forgive us our sins. Thank you for your grace, and I, I pray that you would help me to preach today in a way that is clear, in a way that's encouraging, in a way that is faithful to the text, and, and I, I pray, Father, if there is anyone here today who, who would say they do not currently know your grace or, or have not experienced your grace, that this would be a day in which your grace would, would powerfully take root in their heart, that this would be a day of salvation for any here who, who don't know you, Jesus. Come now, fill me, Holy Spirit, and be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I said, we're going to be camping out in Ephesians 2, so let's read verses 1 through 10. This is Paul Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. This is what he says. He says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also live which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen, amen. This is God's word. These verses, perhaps more than any others, capture the beauty of God's grace. and So I'm just going to go ahead and give you my outline right here. These verses, they they reveal to us the necessity of God's grace. They reveal to us the extravagance of God's grace. And, And finally... They reveal our rightful response to God's grace. And so let's, let's jump in together. In verses 1 through 3, Paul reveals to us the necessity of God's grace. We're told in verse 1 that we were dead in our transgressions and sins. And I'm going to say it's something that's painfully obvious here, but I think needs to be shared. You know, there are degrees of sickness... You can be a little sick if you you have maybe a bit of indigestion or some nausea after dinner or if you have a bit of a cold, and you can be really sick to the point that a risky operation is your only chance or hope for survival. There are degrees of sickness, but there are not degrees of being dead. Do you know that? There isn't such a thing as someone who's sort of dead and then someone else who's really, really dead. To be dead is to be dead, and Paul says that before we came to Jesus, we were dead in our transgressions and sins. And what Paul means here is that there was no hope for us. A spiritually dead person can't have faith. They can't believe the gospel. It is not possible. A spiritually dead person can't please God. No matter how self-righteous they are, how legalistic they are, A spiritually dead person cannot please the Lord. A spiritually dead person is destined to be cut off from God for all eternity... Before you were a follower of Jesus, Paul is saying, you weren't just kind of sick, just in need of a, you know, a little bit of antibiotics, just in need of a, a little bit of help, because maybe you were a good mom, and because you paid your taxes, and because you, you gave your old clothes to the VOA when you were done with them, while there were others, people that you would see on the news, you know, th- those others who were really, really sick, those others who really needed God's grace. Now Paul says to us, you were every bit as dead, every bit as cut off as those who would, we would consider now absolutely evil and heartless. For, for there are no degrees of being dead. And, and I'm trying to belabor this point here because the, the grace of God and the salvation that it brings us will never produce the joy, never produce the gratitude, never produce the humility that it was meant to produce in your hearts, if you don't understand how absolutely necessary the grace of God is for your salvation, you were dead, unable to believe the gospel. And by his grace, Jesus helped you to believe. You were dead, unable to pay for your many sins. And by his grace, Jesus went to the cross and he paid for all of them. And and to the... Extent that we recognize that we were absolutely dead before God intervened in our life, before He gave us faith, before He died on the cross for us, to to this extent we will experience joy and gratitude in our lives. If you find a happy, joy-filled Christian, you ever do you know anyone like this? You ever meet someone that they are just so joy-filled? That they are just so full of contentment. COVID is happening struggling in life, maybe their health is failing, and they're just so full of joy, just so full of peace. You ever meet someone like that, I, I guarantee you, you will find a Christian who understands how absolutely undeserving they are of God's grace. They'll, they'll know that they weren't just a, a little sick, just in need of a little bit of help, a little boost. No, they'll, they'll know that they were dead, worthy of being cast away from God for all eternity, but that in his great mercy and grace, he pursued them. And he saved them. I love what one pastor shared regarding this point. He said, you know, it's not enough to simply affirm that God's grace is is a free and undeserved gift. It's, It's not enough to simply be able to define what grace is. Because we receive plenty of free gifts, he says, that aren't helpful or that don't mean anything to us. You know, if you've ever attended a conference or an event and you received a complimentary t-shirt that was three sizes too big or three sizes too small, you know that not every free gift is, is life-changing, is it? But what if you lived in a developing world country and you did not have the means to pay for the surgery that you so desperately needed? And, and what if a friend who was slightly wealthier than you liquidated all of their assets, gave everything that they owned away that they might pay for your surgery and so save your life. Was that gift necessary for your survival? Was it indispensable? Of course. It saved your life. And so Paul says to us here in these first few verses, the the grace of God is not a lime green t-shirt that you received at some unforgettable business conference, okay? The grace of God is the money that you need for life-saving surgery. The grace of God which gives you faith. The grace of God which paid for your sins on the cross is absolutely indispensable. It's necessary. Since apart from Jesus' intervention in your life, you are dead. Our our passage, it shows us the necessity of God's grace. And and secondly, the passage shows us the extravagance of God's grace. Let's read verses 4. Through seven together. But because of his great love for us, Paul writes, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. These are remarkable verses, are they not? We're told that because of God's great love for us, while we were dead, unable to save ourselves, unable to believe, we were made alive with Christ. And we were made alive with Christ by accepting by faith the truth that, that Jesus came to this earth to sacrifice himself on our behalf. That we might receive his righteousness and forgiveness and that he might receive our punishments. But I, I want us to focus on verse 6. So if you have your Bible in front of you or you can look on the screen. Let's, let's zero in on verse 6 here. Did you catch the tenses? Of those verbs. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms. He he raised us up, that's past tense. He seated us, that's past tense. Wouldn't you expect it to say that one day, one day we will be raised up? One day we will be seated with Jesus. What, What is Paul saying here to us as followers of Jesus? Why is he speaking in the past tense? Well, Paul is saying that while we are not yet physically in heaven with Jesus, legally, legally, we are already there. We're already there. Because we are united to Jesus, we're united to him through the relationship that we have with him. We are already as loved, as honored, as valued as Jesus is as he sits at the right hand of the Father. Jesus has been invited to sit at the right hand of the Father because he has a perfect record. His record is perfect. He lived a sinless life. It's a good start. He he constantly, continually lived for the sake of others. He lived in complete obedience to the Father. And if we are in Jesus, Jesus' perfect record is now our own. His perfect obedience is now our own. His life of sacrificial service is now our own. And because this is true of us, legally, our seats in heaven with Jesus are already waiting for us. Your name has already been placed on a metal plaque and welded to the seat that is waiting for you next to Jesus in the heavenlies. It can't be taken away from you. It's already there. Let me try to bring this down for a second. What do I mean when I say that we have received Jesus' perfect record? What does this actually mean? Here's an illustration that I hope is helpful. Imagine that you're in high school and you're a terrible student. For some of us, it's probably not that hard to imagine as we look back at our high school careers, but just go with me. Imagine you're in high school and you're a terrible student. You you don't typically apply yourself. And in fact, you're told by your guidance counselor that you're probably going to have to take your senior year over again. You show up for the ACT and instead of taking it seriously, you just simply doodle in the margins of the test booklets. Now imagine that there's a student in your class named Jenny who is absolutely brilliant. She's never even received an A-minus in a class. She's only gotten A's. And she was involved in more extracurriculars than you knew existed. She was the president of of seemingly every club in the school. And and when Jenny took the ACT, she received a perfect score of 36. Now imagine that because of a mix-up in the school office, that your school record and Jenny's were accidentally switched. Your record would now belong to Jenny. So Jenny, as it turns out, is taking the 12th grade over again. And Jenny's perfect record would now belong to you. Your file now says that you never received even an A- in one of your classes. Your file now says that you were involved in every extracurricular activity in the school. And your file now says that you received a perfect score of 36. On the ACT. And what does this perfect record give you? What does it give you? Well it gives you access. Gives you access. When you apply to Harvard, you're accepted and given access to the best education this country has to offer. When you apply for scholarships, you're, you're given access to enough scholarship money to pay for your tuition. And on the day of your graduation ceremony, you're given access to a place of honor at the ceremony. You're invited up onto the stage to the valedictorian's seats. And of course, guys. This is what happens when we become a follower of Jesus. We, we marvel at the fact that our sinful record, which records all of the evil things that we've ever done in our life, all of the things that we've done in the past, all of the stuff that you're wrapped up in right now, all of the stuff that you're going to do in the future that you don't even know about yet, all of it, your entire record, it's given to Jesus accredited to him it's attributed to him he receives our our sinful record and on the cross he was punished and condemned for the sins that we committed And, and in this way our debt has been paid it's been paid in full everything that you've ever done that you will do it's been paid it's been punished in the person of Jesus but what's more Jesus' perfect record is given to us. His sacrifices, his sinless behavior, his obedience is now ours. And Jesus' perfect record, what does it do? It gives us access. You now have access to the Father. Why does the Father hear you when you come to him? Because you have been given Jesus' perfect record. And so you are heard by your Father in heaven. We can boldly approach the throne knowing that we're heard by our Father in heaven because we've been given access because of the righteousness of Jesus that's been given to us. You have been given access to a place of honor. This is why this is why Paul says your place of honor, your seat in the heavenlies, it's already waiting for you. It's as if you're already sitting there because you've been given access to this place of honor through the blood of Jesus. And of course, you know, true life is so much better than my little metaphor for... For we are not given a place of honor while Jesus languishes somewhere else. For scripture is clear that we will enjoy seats of honor with Jesus, who is currently at the right hand of the Father, and he is saving our seats for us right now. What kind of grace is this? That Jesus would change his record with our own. What what kind of grace is this? When Jesus was not simply asked to repeat the 12th grade because he exchanged his record with ours, but rather because he was willing to, was willing to die a horrifically painful and dehumanizing death on our behalf. You know, I, I've been to OSU Michigan football games when I was a student, And I remember that the price for a seat in the stadium was extremely high. I mean, I remember back in 2006, we were number one, they were number two. It was upwards of $1,000 for a really good seat if you wanted to buy it online. But, you know, our seats in heaven next to Jesus, they were far pricier than a mere $1,000. Do you know that? Our seats in heaven cost the Son of God his life. This is extravagant grace. And so we don't take it for granted. We don't take it for granted. When, when it says we are now seated with Christ in the heavenlies, that, that seat came with a price. It came the price of Jesus' own life. This is extravagant grace. We've talked about the necessity of grace, the extravagance of grace. And let's close by, by talking about our response to the grace of God. For it is by grace, let's let's turn to verses eight through ten together. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We read in verse 7. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Even the faith that you bring to the Father was given to you by the Father. And so let let me just say this. If you are here and you do not have a relationship with Jesus right now, but as you sit, as you listen to me share, that there there is some part of you that that is saying right now to yourself, maybe this is true. Maybe it is true that Jesus really died for me. Maybe it is true that it is possible for all of my sins to be forgiven. I want to really encourage you on this point that if if any of that is is kind of floating around in your mind, floating around in your heart, that this is not simply your own wishful thinking. This, This is not simply you just falling for the, For the pastor's trick. If faith is rising up within you right now, this is a gift from God. And I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you, do not leave today without saying yes to Jesus. Any faith that rises up within your heart, within your mind, is a gift from the Lord. And so if that is true of you, I'm just, I'm pleading with you. Not not because I need a boost of my ego, not because it makes me feel better when I go home on a Sunday afternoon to know that someone gave their life to the Lord, but because one day you and I are going to stand before a holy God. And I, I long for you to be reconciled to this God before you meet him. And so, you know, after this service, we're, we're just going to have a chance for some of us to receive prayer. And, and I just, I... I I really want to encourage you if you're someone who would say I don't think that I have a relationship with Jesus right now that is making a real difference in my life I I just really want to encourage you to sit tight after the service and receive the gift the grace the pardon that Jesus longs to give you if you have faith right now it is not an accident it is the gift of God and I I long for you to receive the gifts But for those of us who are here and are followers of Jesus, how do we respond to the grace that's already been given to us? My guess is that in a room this size, most of us would say, I'm already there, I'm already following Jesus. So what, what is our response to the grace of God? Well, the answer comes to us in verse 10. Let's read verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We step into the callings and the good works which have been prepared in advance for us. You know, I, I remember when Celeste, my wife, was pregnant. And I, I remember thinking about what our future son would be like. Those of you who are parents, do you remember this? Before your daughter, your son was born? You know, I remember saying to myself, is my, is my little boy going to be handy? Is he going to be good with tools? Or is he going to be hopeless?" Like his old man, right? Is he going to be extroverted or introverted? Is he going to be into to soccer or baseball? You know, basketball for him is probably not in the cards because, you know, genes and that. So unless he gets some recessive traits in there, he's probably not hooping. You know, is he going to be into science or English lit? Like, like what is my little kid going to be like? I mean, that is so fun as a parent. And I, I love daydreaming about what my future son would be like. But you know, this isn't a game that that God ever played when he thought about you before you became a, a Christian. Do you know that? Before even you became a follower of Jesus, God knew exactly, exactly what role you were going to play. He knew exactly how you were going to serve, exactly how you were going to encourage others, because you are his handiwork created and designed by God to step into your specific calling. Your gifts are not an accident. Your strengths are not an accident. And and I hate to be the one to break this to you, but your circumstances are not an accident. So if you find yourself in a place where you're just like, man, can I just get out of these circumstances? I'm telling you, you are there right now that God might use you in that place in this time. And oh, if we in the church would only fully step into the calling that God has for each one of us, what could happen in this world? What could happen in this world if each one of us just said, I, I, I don't want to worry about what everyone else is supposed to do, but God, I just want to know your will for my life. I want to step into those works. What could happen? Let me end here with, with one last thought. Gypsy Smith, he was a powerful British evangelist in the 19th and the early 20th century. And he said this. He said, there are five Gospels, not four, there are five Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Christian. And he said, but most people, they never read the first four. And what Smith meant is that the average person on the street that They're probably not going to read the Bible. They're probably not interested in reading the Gospels. But each person on the street has a chance to watch how other Christians act. We are, in that sense, the fifth Gospel. We can point people to Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, we've been tasked with stepping into the good works God has called us to do, that we might be a blessing to others And so that others might see our lives and be drawn to Jesus as a result. You are the only gospel that someone at your job, that someone on your street, that someone in your family might ever read. This grace has been given to you. It's been given to me that we might serve as living gospels for others. You know, many of you, you know my story. I've shared it here now a a few times. I didn't grow up a follower of Jesus, and I I went to my first Bible study before I was a a follower of Jesus, because I I was invited by someone from my dorm floor who had exhibited a a life of integrity, a life of kindness for, for an entire school year. And I thought to myself, when she said, hey, do you want to come to my Bible study? I thought to myself, I want to be friends with whoever she's friends with. Because my friends are idiots. And I'm an idiot. And so that's all that it took. I didn't care. I had never really thought about, about Jesus. But she had lived a life of integrity. She had lived a life of kindness. And so I was just willing to give it a go. It was all that it took. And so, listen, we might be in the middle of a pandemic. But the good news is that no pandemic can take away God's calling on your life. Do you know that? Like, God is not surprised by this pandemic. God is not saying, you know, I I had so much in store for Sarah. I I was going to use her and I was was going to help her to be an encouragement to people. But then this pandemic came, and it's like, now I guess we're just going to have to wait this thing out. That's not what God does. You are his handiwork. You have been created by Christ Jesus to do good works. And God has jobs for you. He has jobs for this church to perform right now. God is not waiting for this pandemic to subside before giving you your next marching orders. And so would you make it a habit? Would you just make it a habit to come before God and say, I am ready right now to step into the good works that you have planned for me. I I don't want to just just bide my time. I I don't want to just ride out this pandemic. I want to be a fifth gospel that is worth reading. I want my life to be a gospel that points people to you. Would you make that your prayer? Would you make that your prayer? Friends, the gospel... The grace of God, it's just, it's necessary because apart from it, we are dead without hope and it is extravagant. The king of the universe has come down to this earth taking on flesh and he's exchanged his perfect record for your broken, sinful record. And because of that, you have access. You have access to the Father. You You have a seat in the heavenlies in which your name is already... Placed on but that's not all there's a response for us we are called to step into god's good works that he has for us we're called to run the race hard that when we see jesus he might say everything that i i wanted you to do you did it you stepped into the calling that i had for you you were a blessing to others and other people know me now because of your life that's the life we're called to live that's how we're called to respond amen amen let's worship church